0: Well, good morning. What a pleasure to come back to uh, Tyndale University and Seminary, where I uh, graduated and had so much fun and learned so much um, about who God was and about who I was um, in this place, and ultimately to um, accept my calling um, uh, going out of uh, going out of Tyndale. So it is. Uh, it really is a joy and a privilege to be uh, to be with you today. <clears throat> I have been studying the subject um, in my work, and, and James gave a, a brief introduction there of uh, the work that I do, and, and I've been studying with great interest the subject of identity. And the more I look at prisoners and the more we work with prisoners, and um, each of us as a staff member spends a day a week in the prison. Uh, we don't just write programs. <clears throat> Pardon me from a uh, a lofty office, but we uh, we actually work in the prisons um, that are close to us, and the more that I do that, the more that I see um let me back up. Restorative justice is obviously the uh, the goal that we have, and and if I could put that in into two words, healing hurts. Uh, that's what we're we're looking to do to have people restored to God, to have people restored to themselves, and ultimately to have people restored to the community. Um, but as I started to work in that, and and I'm nine years in now um, in this work, and as I started um, or, or in recent years, what I've started to discover is before we can bring people to a place of reconciliation, before we can bring them to a place where they can be restored, they actually have to know who it is they are. And so that's why I wanted to uh, speak on identity. I found that obviously it goes way beyond the prison and um, it affects all of us. So um, Let's get, into, uh, let's get into the word uh, where we're going to be today. Um, if you have your Bibles uh, with you or your, uh, your devices with you and your Bible on that, we're going to start in Ephesians uh, chapter 1 and looking at uh, verse 3. Pardon me. Okay, so unfortunately I need these here. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ For he uh, he chose us in him before the foundations of the world To be holy and blameless in love before him he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Now, the, the um, scripture that may be uh, up or may not be up uh, might be slightly different, but, uh, but we're going to uh, work with this. And first of all, I'm going to tell you a story. Inga Kraus doesn't know who she really is. She only knows that people call her by that name. She was just four years old in in April of 1945 when Russian troops attacked Konigsberg, the capital of what was then East Prussia. Inga remembers a very strong man lifting her onto a wagon filled with people as Soviet artillery rained down upon the city she knew as home. She survived but was separated from her family and placed in an orphanage in Germany. Over 60 years later, Inga attended a, a gathering of war exiles from her city, tearfully hoping that somebody might recognize her, but to no avail. Well, how do you find an identity? When I sit with somebody and I'm about to work with somebody, I often take them to the passage in Ecclesiastes that talks about, um, talks about time, and we see in there a time uh, to, to, to tear down, a time to build up, a time to plant, a time to harvest, a time for peace, a time for war. And when I'm working with a prisoner, that's generally where I start in that passage. And then I ask the question, what time is it? And that helps me to know, and some of them will come to me. And for some of them, it's a time to, it's a time to build up. It's a time to plant. And for some of them, it's a time to tear down and it's a time for war. And wherever they are, I just want to know, where are you on the map? So that's where we start. And then after that, we go into, we start to work. Um, and obviously, we have a lot longer than, uh, than a few minutes that we have here today. But we work over the next number of weeks on identity and what that means. In the culture we're currently living in here, we've never been so in search of individuality. But that is different from identity. And really, we have conflated the two. But we're going to push this through a biblical lens today. And as the Spirit speaks to us, I pray that each of us will be able to see clearly what God has for us in our individuality, I'm sorry, in our identity. So this passage starts with some words we want to look at. It talks about being chosen. It talks about being holy. It talks about being blameless in God's sight. It talks about being adopted, meant for his pleasure. It says that mercy and grace is lavished upon us. So, the first thing we say, see when we look at the identity in Christ is a lot of these words and a lot of these concepts, frankly, are foreign to us. Behaving from our new identity in Christ is like going to a foreign country. It has its own language, it has its own values, it has its own customs, and a unique way of be- behaving, it's a unique orientation. Hebrews eleven thirteen to 16 puts it this way. It talks about the giants of the faith who lived by faith when they died without yet receiving their, uh, the things they were promised. And scripture reads, And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country. A heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. That's the scripture. Anyone here longing for a better country, a better place in this world? Like any foreign culture, we have to inten- intentionally exercise the practices and values and customs of the new country that, or the new culture that we're going to be part of until it becomes natural. And then as this occurs... The language and values and customs and expectations of this world will grow increasingly foreign to us. The second thing we see about identity through this passage is it's an eternal identity. And that is very different from the way we often think of identity. This type of identity doesn't care what type of food we like or what our favorite color is um, or whether we're vegetarians or we're not vegetarians. Um, In Christ, that is not part of our identity. They are personal characteristics that can identify us in this world, but they do not identify us in the one to come. So we want to elevate our search today. Our identity in Christ for those who believe in him is an eternal identity that begins when we enter into our relationship with Christ and we start to live into that identity. We start, to look, uh, we, we start to look like Christ. We start to unleash the promises of our Father into our lives. I don't know many of your family situations, obviously, but I will share a little of mine. My parents married as teenagers, and over the next 30 years, I went through five divorces between them. Most of my friends have never met my father, who's been out of my life more than he was in it. But God, who quotes in Psalm 68, five, I will be a father to the fatherless, has eternally stepped into that role in my life. And if you find yourself in a similar situation to me, that is true for you too. Most of my friends, however, do know my mother. And over and over, I hear the phrase, you look like your mother, ever heard that? Well, the truth is I actually look like my father, but in his absence, the comparison cannot be made. When I take on the identity of Christ, I begin to look like my heavenly father, and that is whose resemblance I bear. One of the greatest encouragements that we can hear as a Christian is, you look like your father. When we choose Christ, our our identity is acted upon us. We don't create it. We are bombarded with storylines of people who are trying to reinvent themselves, trying to create identities for themselves, but it is not so in Christ. At the same time, we're not lame or passive agents waiting for God to live our lives for us. We are reflectors. The scripture tells us we are reflectors. We are images. We reflect that which we turn toward whether it's our environment, or our context, our idols, or our God. What do you reflect? The fourth thing about identity, it's not formed individually. In fact, it can't be formed individually. It is formed in community. We've heard these words, identity in Christ, chosen before the foundation of the world, Holy, blameless in God's sight, adopted, meant for His uh, pleasure, grace lavished on me. And in 1 Peter 2 9 to 10, we read that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. All these shared above that I've just said here, listen to these. Are they describing an individual or a group? Both, but not one without the other. God deals with us individually, but always within the context of community. We cannot find identity in ourselves, and we cannot find identity by ourselves. Not this identity. Our de- identity begins with God, and our identity in Christ works in relationship To us working that out in community. We fool ourselves if we think that we are who who we are when we're in isolation. That we are most ourselves in our own introspection and internal thoughts. It's the opposite of how we naturally go about looking for our identity. But it begins with community or begins with God, then with community, and then with self. We do not lose our true selves in God. We find our true selves in God. And that's what the scripture is talking about when it says that those who who lose their life will find it. And I'm going to suggest that our struggle is not really in figuring out what our identity is, but in coming to grips with it. In disciplining ourselves so that the familiar customs of this world become foreign, and the foreign um, ideas of being in Christ become familiar. But once we see this, we figure out something about calling. How many times have you asked yourself, what's my calling? I'm here, I'm getting an education. I love being here, but what is my calling? Well, I'm going to suggest to you today that when we don't know our calling, it's because we don't know our identity. Identity precedes calling. If you don't know what your calling is, begin with really searching what your identity is. And ask, are you living? Are you living that out? I want to look um, now a little further into Ephesians at chapter two, verses nineteen, starting at, at verses, uh, starting at verse nineteen, and it says here. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being uh, built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. This is a great uh, picture. This is a metaphor uh, for unity in Christ. And there are many metaphors for Scripture. And I would encourage you to to go through. If you want to think about identity, go through and look at the different metaphors um, that Scripture talks about. The body of Christ, the temple, the bride, uh, the family of God, the branch connected to the vine. All of these are, are metaphors. But here Paul uses the metaphor of a temple, and he tells us that Christ is the cornerstone. What importance is there uh, to a cornerstone in a building? Well, the cornerstone is the first stone set in the construction of a foundation, important since all other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure and isaiah twenty eight sixteen puts it this way, therefore, uh, this says the Lord God: behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Our calling is the position we are called to, determined by our identity in Christ, and we are built up together on the cornerstone, and what is it that goes in this in this and it 's called a temple and his glory fills the temple and the Holy Spirit is in that temple. And we are made up of that with Christ as the cornerstone. First Peter two, four to six says, we are living stones being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. And another example also given um, in Ephesians talks about the bride. Um, in Ephesians 5, uh, 25 to 27, and the, and the scripture helps us explore this metaphor, and and we can take a look at that. It says here, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without a stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blame- and blameless. I'm sure many of you, here have been um, to a wedding ceremony, perhaps some of you have even been in a wedding ceremony, your own wedding ceremony, And, and you notice nobody's looking at the groom. Everybody's looking at the bride. This is a picture of our identity in Christ. In splendor, without spot or wrinkle, he presents us. And once we take And I want to tell you, I really, really want to tell you, there is no better identity than this. There isn't. You don't have a better identity than this. You can't beat what Jesus has to offer you in an identity with him. You can't. Once we take on the identity of Christ, any action in the natural flesh is what is referred to as acting out of character. That's how scripture characterizes sin. It is acting out of character because we've now taken on this new identity. So to behave in ways that are of the natural flesh, you are acting out of character. When we see each other in the visible reality, we see each other's flaws and shortcomings, but there's an invisible reality. And when we see one another in the invisible reality, we see one another as Christ sees us. With jaw-dropping beauty. Scripture says we are his masterpiece. We often go after behavior when we look at a situation gone wrong. It's certainly the case uh, when we deal with, uh, with prisoners. Uh, but, but it happens with children. It happens with friends. It happens uh, with workmates wherever we go. We go after the behavior rather than dealing with the issues at the source. And at the source, what is wrong is a perception of one's identity. Sin and carnage proceed out of this. Interestingly, in the book, The Psychopath Test, which is an old book, uh, the author puts society through this rating scale, similar to the ones that children um, or, or adults um, can have their, their behavior or potential uh, behavior disorders tested upon. And the author contends that the result is that our society is operating, if it were an individual, is a psychopath. Examples that we see of this, we sexualize children in their nursery school years and we slap up all but naked images of pre-adolescents to sell cologne and perfume in the town square. But then we reel in horror and shock and the lives and lives get destroyed Around those who act out in real life what we've insinuated with our marketing platforms. And I could go on and give many, many examples of this. The enemy will always take what is most sacred in our identity and pervert it. What happens when our identity is hidden or erased? I think we can all come up with examples of this. When we think of our First Nations people, we think of the plight that they have gone through, the identity being stripped from them, their land, their possessions, their language, their music, their families, and we see what happens when an identity is taken. In the prison system, people are removed from the home, rightly so. The community is kept in, uh, and then when it's time to come, uh, no, sorry, they're removed from the community. They're kept in isolation. When it's time to come home, they're actually prevented from reconnecting. What does this do to a people who are incurably relational? We are incurably relational. This does not result in strengthening the body, but rather in disembodiment, and it contradicts our identity in Christ. A realized identity leads to a realized calling, which in turn leads to a realized destiny. Destiny is described as the events that will necessarily happen to a particular person or people. While there are always those who will laugh at, who will mock, who will ignore or contradict our beliefs, we must persist to the end where it will be revealed as Christ has promised. Ravi Zacharias says it well. He says the Bible rises up to outlive its pallbearers. Ephesians promises that those who who have their identity in Christ that they will be led to the calling of Christ and they will reap the destiny that is meant for those in Christ. Well, what is the destiny? The scripture tells us All of these promises, redemption through his blood, forgiveness for our trespasses, wisdom and understanding, an inheritance in Christ. When you and I heard the truth and believed, we were sealed with the mark of the Holy Spirit. And a power so great, it can't be measured. How can you discover this at a pace that you can savor and thoughtfully work out? My suggestion to you would be to take the New Testament and work through the books one at a time, looking for every time you encounter the phrases that talk about being in Christ, in him, in whom, by Christ, by him, through Christ, through him, and on and on. Take that on. If you're looking for something to do in your devotional time that will bring you to a place of real richness, I encourage you to do that. Ask yourself, what would this look like in my life if I began to think and act according to what Christ says is my identity? That I'm chosen, that I'm holy, that I'm blameless in God's sight that I am adopted, that I am meant for his pleasure, that mercy and grace is lavished on me. Interestingly, the Greek word for mercy or, or this grace lavished on us means to be mercied or to be pitied. And, it, and it's, an interesting, it's an interesting mix as it's in there with Chosen. Another interesting thing about identity is we don't do this to ourselves. We talked about that, that it's acted upon us. It's Christ, and it's because of Christ that we're chosen, not because. Of something we 've done, I have a, a dear friend who uh, is a friend of mine in the ministry who sa- who will often say if "If you think that God so loved the world, because you are so so lovable, then I so have some bad news for you <laughs> and it 's true we are holy because He ascribes that to us, not because we 're without sin, we are blameless in god 's sight because he chooses." To see Jesus when he looks at us. We are adopted. It's an identity given to us by God. We don't, we don't earn it. We are meant for his pleasure. It means we are his possession. Sometimes scripture refers to this as we are, uh, that, that we are a bondservant or even a prisoner of Christ. As Christians... We lay down our personal earthly identity and we take up the identity of Christ, our eternal identity. And it's an awkward thing to get into that rhythm. But if you take these words and you take this passage and you write them out for yourself and as you begin your day, You begin in those words, as as situations arise for you um, in the day, you'll take a look and say, ah, you will act differently because you will act according to this identity if you choose it. We then, as I I close, um, I want to share a couple more things with you, but I want to highlight that our identity in Christ shows us it is who we are that counts more than what we do. It is not by what we achieve, but by rather his acting upon us as we submit and accept Christ's identity and build it up in the body. My prayer for you as I leave you here is that you would enjoy your time in this place. It is so very short. And while you are here, that God would not only reveal to you who you are, I'm sorry, that he would not only reveal to you who he is, but that he would reveal to you who you are so that along with the saints, you may go into your calling and achieve your destiny, which is to glorify God. And I just want to uh, share a benediction with you. And I also have um, a prayer that I want to uh, pray before we go. Dear Abba Father, We thank you this morning that you are a God who answers prayers and that we do not speak to a vast emptiness when we pray, but that we are listened to by the one who creates and sustains the universe. We ask the Holy Spirit to accompany us as we go out of here this morning and this afternoon and to instruct us and to give us wisdom and clarity of thought As we come back to this passage and we seek to learn about you through your word in this community that you alone have created out of nothing, teach us to see things as you see things. Allow us to see invisible realities that have been stored up since the foundation of the earth was laid, things that have been apportioned for your people. We come boldly before you, we go out boldly, we go out humbly. Our hearts are grateful that you would consider us at all. Lord, penetrate us with your word. Penetrate our minds and our hearts with your truth and your love. In Jesus' name. And I'm going to ask you to rise and hold out your hands if you're comfortable while I give you my benediction. Now, may the God of all love and mercy and peace Grant to you his chosen race that day by day you would increase in the fluency of a land that is foreign to this world, a land you will possess. And when you arrive, may it be said of you, well done, faithful servant, and may it be said, you look like your father. Go in Jesus' name.